Hello, and welcome to Start By Listening, the podcast about sexual harm. We are centered on educating and empowering our Western Kentucky communities. Our goal is to transform the way we talk about sexual harm. Transformation begins by listening to understand. We talk so you can listen today and change the world tomorrow. Well, hey there, y'all. How you guys doing? It's Jennifer, the friendly therapist here with you today. And I just wanted to pop in before our podcast start and just give a little bit of a a warning that today's topic might be triggering for many people to hear about. And this is definitely for adults only, not for teenagers or for children. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of kind of talking with and having an open dialogue um, about a topic that we encounter a lot when working with survivors of trauma, especially sexual trauma. And that topic that my coworker and I, Becky Roby, are going to be talking about today um, is entitled Sexually Reactive Behaviors. And so today's podcast, again, trigger warning might be a little upsetting, But I want us to approach this with an open mind and an open heart to understand how trauma truly does affect the body, how it affects um, emotions, and how it affects our actions and behaviors. So I hope you stick around and I hope you enjoy this amazing conversation that I get to have with Becky today. Love and light to all y'all. So good morning. Um, everyone out there in podcast land. We're here today um, with my co-host, Becky Roby. And if you guys remember, two weeks ago, we talked about and brought up the subject of what are sexually reactive behaviors. And today we're doing the second piece of that. And we're actually going to have a nice discussion about Okay, now that maybe you are witnessing through your children some concerning behaviors or through a friend, what do you do? How do you handle that? And so I'm just super excited to be here with Becky today. And um, I'll just go ahead and say this again at the beginning, trigger warning. We're talking about some really sensitive stuff. This is not for kids. This is not for teenagers. This is for grown-ups because we're doing grown-up talk today. <laughs> yeah, grown-up talk today. How does that sound, Becky? Grown-up talk. I, I smiled. I was like, oh, I am a grown-up. You're right. Yes. I know we are. <laughs> we might not feel grown-ups all the time, but we are grown-ups. And we, I got my coffee this morning. Oh, I can see you've got your coffee because, you know, I guess I would think the listeners would know by now that a lot of this gets done from home, but we're at home, we're on Zoom, we're being as safe as we can be during COVID. If you hear dogs barking or cats meowing, you know, it's just welcome to our world. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey, everybody. <laughs> hello, hello. So, gosh, should we just dive right in? Should we ease into this this topic of, oh my gosh, what do you do? Uh, where should we start? 
<sighs> There's so much, right? <laughs> There's well, just so much. You know me, I'm kind of like, it's, it's whatever. We can, we can walk into the pool, we can dive into the pool. We can dive into the pool and then walk back in the pool. Well, you know what? Let's just dive in. Let's just jump in the deep end. Sometimes it's just more fun, you know, just okay. to. Okay. So, gosh, so how do you begin to help someone when they call in and they said, oh my gosh, I caught my kid. Um, masturbating in the living room while watching TV? So when you say that, and, and, you know, and I know you've probably talked about a lot about nervous systems in your podcast, right? Mm -hmm. My nervous system halted because you said caught. Yes. Because a lot of that's the language that we hear. mm -hmm. So I caught them. Um, and for me, when I hear someone say caught, I like to explore that because a lot of times it's, um, we're catching somebody doing something. There's this negative association related to it. Mm -hmm. It's something they're not supposed to be doing. They're sneaking. It's secret. And I just happened to see them. They got caught. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really, I think it's important when you're speaking to somebody on the phone as opposed to in person, because they're usually calling, they're contacting us first, right? It's, it's an emergency. It's a crisis. They're calling in to get a feel for who you're speaking with, to be able to do some grounding. And then depending on the person I might, I may decide, is this the time I educate? And I step back and we talk about the word caught and how we feel about what we just witnessed um, before I discuss how to address it, what to say and what to do. Mm, I like that because that's what I do. <laughs> yes. And it really depends too on, on who you're speaking with. Um, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is not something to fall on deaf ears, but in that moment, if we educate, are they actually going to be able to hear you? Are we, I mean, it's. Chances are the answer is no. And here's why. Um, And you are correct. I talk about the nervous system 24 seven, right? It's the lens through which I do therapy, through which I do education and trainings. Because when they're calling in, their nervous system is overwhelmed scared, um, they're uncertain. And so it's in a sympathetic response, which is that fight or flight. And what we know about learning and what we know about our nervous system, we can't take in any of that information unless we're in a safe and connected space. Yeah. And that can occur through co-regulation of nervous systems. And so I like to do that education piece when they come in for a crisis session, you know, or a paperwork session, because mm-hmm. then I can be that grounding anchor for them. So, yeah, that right. was beautiful. 
beautiful because they can't they can't learn yeah and they're calling in in crisis um also to be able to evaluate because your your question seems so simple um to just be able to dive in and address but that's not how i practice yeah so where are you are you in a safe space to talk where's your child um and asking some of these questions because you're really you're you're not sure what the other situation to the individual you're talking to on the other line um where they're at where's are they around other children you know because this is um sensitive topic and and doesn't necessarily need to be discussed around other kids in the home Mm -hmm. um, or in front of that child so and there have been times well i'm taking them to school right now or yes they're here well let's talk about a time i I absolutely want to talk to you and i want us to be able Mm -hmm. i want to talk to you and i want us to be able to problem solve and i want to be able to help you the best way i can in this moment i'm wondering if having this conversation with your kid on the car, what kind of feelings that may bring up if they hear us talking about them? Is there a different time today where you have some privacy? So even being being able to lay out a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can get to the question, what do we say? What do we do? Yeah. So they're in a safe space. Um, well, they're in a private space, not mm-hmm. necessarily probably feeling very safe. Right. And they have witnessed their child doing some sexual reactive behaviors. Also, just not simple enough to just say, here's what you do. One, two, three, four, five, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's mm-hmm. let's, let's do a, let's do some, some sort of assessment. When you say that there, you witnessed this, um, and that's hard too, when you're asking them to use their words to explain maybe some symptoms that this kid is displaying mm-hmm. and the reactivity, because what do we see the parents do in that moment when they're explaining those things, Jennifer? They get heightened. Um, and they get overwhelmed. They get mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of word searching, mm-hmm. you know, trying to figure out what words do I use? There's um, a lot of holding back too, of saying things because perhaps the family culture in family culture of words used in the home. What if I say that word out loud to another adult? And what if I get embarrassed by saying that word? You know, and I, I when I post the question, I mean, I'm trying to think of all the crisis calls I've had in the last five years. I don't believe I've ever had a parent use the word masturbation. No. You know? Uh, yeah, it's it's few and far between. Not like in a crisis call, you know, like, um, mm-hmm. I've, but I wanted to use that word specifically because we as a society have shrouded that word with so much shame. And we've made it almost an embarrassing word to say, you know? And I was like, hmm, we need to just uh, need to take that, that veil off, you know? Um, but to go back to what you said, it is, it's like, 
each situation is so unique and so different. And it's also what level of crisis is that parent or caregiver at in that moment that they're calling in, you know, um, and trying to do that assessment is, can be really hard sometimes so that you can help them because here's what I know about my nervous system. When somebody is asking me questions and I just want help, I want someone to help me solve a problem. Yep. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, oh my God, stop. Just tell me the answer. What do I do? Right. Because that nervous system is just so overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. You know, and so even bringing attention to that on the phone, I know that you want some answers and you want me to tell you exactly what to do in this moment, but I need to ask you a couple questions mm-hmm. um, so I can know how to help you best. Mm-hmm. You know? So, because there's so many questions to ask, are there other kids in the home? Where does the kid sleep? Or do they bathe with other children? Do they have a history of sexual assault that they have disclosed? Have they had treatment? Um, are they displaying these behaviors at school and at home? Can you explain to me some of the things that you see that you feel like are not typical um, sexual questions or behavior from a mm-hmm. child, age appropriate? Mm-hmm. So, and we also need to be realistic too on generational trauma that we talked a little bit about last time. Um, that when parents are calling in, they're gonna immediately, and I am going to throw it out there, we have a large percentage of parents who have a history of trauma, sexual mm-hmm. trauma in particular. Yes. And so when they are seeing and hearing these things um, about their kiddo, there is no responding. It's immediate reactivity, it's triggering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, and our brains are wired to jump to worst case scenario. And so when an adult calls in and says that they did witness this happening, it's the fear of, has somebody hurt my child? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think, like you said, I would dare say 70 to 80% of Um, our parents have experienced the same trauma and it's a fear of, I don't want my child to have to go through what happened to me. Right. Or I failed because that's the number one thing I didn't want to happen to them because it happened to me. I failed. Mm -hmm. I'm a bad parent. Um, Yeah. 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 So taking those phone calls, um, asking some history, but, and then being able to say, and and I do, I tell them every opportunity is educational. So let's talk about what we can say and what we can do whenever your child displays some of these behaviors. So how we approach them. So approaching with curiosity. So we're talking about individuals who um, have to take a step back Mm -hmm. 
to know, okay, let me think about this when I approach my child. Am I hovering over them? No, I'm, I'm getting on their level. Mm-hmm. And hey, Joe, what are you doing? Can you talk to mommy a little bit about some of the thoughts that you're having right now? Mm-hmm. I see you touching your penis. I mean, we're talking about things that are really hard for a parent to do, um, especially if they have a history of sexual assault and abuse. Mm-hmm. And so we also need to be realistic when we're talking to this caller on what is doable and what's not. Because I feel like my approach on what I would be explaining to them isn't necessarily possible for that individual to do where they're at in their life. Yes, that has happened a lot when I've tried to um, walk them through some, you know, things to say and do, and I can just hear in the phone mm-hmm. I, I, that I, they don't physically, They're frozen. Yeah, they don't physically say it, yeah. but I hear with my nervous system, I can't do that. And mm-hmm. so when I realize that, I quickly I'm, I change gears, right? Because that's not going to be productive for anyone. Would you like to come in for a crisis session and we all talk about it together? And then you hear yeah. this. Oh my God, I can do that. I'm like, yes, yes, (laughs) absolutely. But do you get other callers who we may not see because the goal, well, we hope because people need to decide what's best for them. And as a, as a therapist, I'm hoping we can discuss this, then you can come in. um, We can address post and secondary trauma, provide services, and we can walk you down this path to healing and how to respond. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's ready for that. And they may want, like you said, that quick fix of tell me what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So being able to, I'd say the top things um, when you're talking to somebody, because we all know there's a bunch of different ways to address it, is to, is to be able to validate whatever feelings that that parent is having. That's going to be very important. They called. That's a huge step, mm-hmm. regardless if it's for them or their kiddo. Mm-hmm. So being able to validate their feelings, being able to um, let them know that we're really glad that they reached out because they had a choice, right? Mm-hmm. They sure did. And they called in. So we may ask a couple questions. We're also being very aware of what space they're in physically, mentally, emotionally. And then you can start to address some more simplistic things, Um, but still approaching the kid with curiosity and education, but it just may, depending on the parent that you're talking to or the caregiver, um, letting them know, oh, it really depends. Like I want, I want to give one answer, but that's not fair because it really depends on the individual on the other line and how you approach it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like where you're going though, the general, like the generalizations of the validation, that's what they want to hear. Yeah. I mean, so you're, you're on the right path. I mean, we can't account for every Sally, Susie, Jim, Joseph, that's going to call in, you know, Um, but just the general things we do validation. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, Yep. taking some deep breaths. So then we can discuss 
you saw Joe masturbate in the living room. I paused because my cat just <laughs> puked in the middle of the living room and I regurgitated right in the middle of this very sensitive subject matter and I just couldn't I just couldn't push through. <laughs> so I just you know to what take it's, a second. It is totally fine. I mean, I'm sitting here did laughing. Did you hear that? I did, and I knew exactly what that was, <laughs> even though I do not have cats. And I was like, I knew exactly what that was. Yep. And it's okay. Do you want to do you want to take a moment oh. just to check on him? Oh no no no! I mean, it's cats. This is pretty, pretty normal. Pretty used to the puking. Of course, I just wanted to take a second to acknowledge it because I, I couldn't just keep pushing through what we were talking about when my cat was letting his breakfast go and really. <laughs> he's just uh, he's, he's letting his emotions just be expelled from his body. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so when we're talking about some of these sexually reactive behaviors, particularly masturbation, Mm -hmm. um, then we're going to, we're going to talk about how are you doing mom or caregiver? Um, you're asking these questions. Thank you for calling in. Let's talk about what to do if it happens again. Mm -hmm. And even before that, do you think you could sit down with Joe and just go over some touching rules? Um, so then it's, you're introducing these things before you witness, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So keeping it very simple, um, our body is private. No one touches my body, but me. Um, and then of course there, there are some exceptions and it depends on how old the kiddo is mm-hmm. and other people's bodies are private. So we don't touch other people's bodies as well. Um, you also have to gauge private parts specifically. You also have to gauge where that parent is on if a kid is masturbating, where are they spiritually? Where are they with their own morals and ethics and values? Because as a parent and a therapist, I fully believe that that kid, it is their body, mm-hmm. but we need to have rules. Mm-hmm. Um, so privacy whether it's in the bathroom, in the shower, um, in the room, the door shut because the body is their nat it's natural to explore, but that doesn't always mean that another parent is going to agree with those things. And it's not about me, right? It's about talking to the client, the parent and seeing what they feel comfortable doing, Mm -hmm. but still setting some rules with the private parts, my own and someone else's. You know, I'm so glad you brought up that perspective because that definitely um, is a huge component of the work we do, you know, because we are interacting with different individual culture, family culture, spiritual slash religious culture, societal culture. And I will be honest and tell you that when I first started about five years ago, um, I really in my brain had this image, this, this story that I had created as Brene Brown would say, that this was going to be a really difficult thing to discuss with parents due to religious, moral, ethical belief value systems. 
And I will tell you that what I've experienced is the exact opposite of that in those five years thus far. And when, especially when a parent comes in and we do a paperwork session to, you know, initiate for therapy services, um, we'll get to that. And I'll say, so this is really important. And I really want to know what your values are because I want to respect your family. I want to respect you and the boundaries. And I want to know what you are okay with us discussing and not discussing. And how do you want to proceed with that? And I will tell you that it has been such a beautiful experience to have that conversation with those Mm -hmm. caregivers. Um, Because sometimes they're kind of like, oh my gosh, nobody's ever asked me that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, wow, let's just explore this. What a beautiful moment for us to really figure this out. And then I'll have other uh, parents or caregivers that will immediately say, that is normal. That is natural. I just don't want them doing this in the living room. (laughs) You know, I'm like, okay, got it. Let's explore that further too. You know, because I do body safety. I do um, medical terminology of body parts, as well as whatever you call them, you know, and it's like, I'm okay with you teaching them exactly all that, you know, and then also have parents that'll come in and they'll be like, well, I was taught this as a kid that you should not touch your private parts. And if you do that, you're going to go to hell. And then there's a big pause. And a lot of times they'll lean in and they'll say, but I don't believe that. And that's not okay. And I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about what, what is the value that you want to convey to your child? And can I make you a part of that? I do that with all of the parents, you know, it's so important. Can we, especially when we get to the talk about um, sex and sexual activity, age appropriateness, you know, all of that stuff. I want the parents involved in that. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, the story I had created in my head has been pleasantly dismantled and it's just been a beautiful experience to have those conversations over the last five years with so many different families. Yeah, that, that question of what do you teach your kid about their private parts or about touching themselves or what if they, um, I can't remember exactly how it's worded on our mm-hmm. psychosocial assessment, but it's like it's on the first page. It's very important because we take that into account along with um, the prognosis of knowing how, how did individuals respond when they disclosed, mm-hmm. were they believed, uh, were they shamed, were they yeah. victimized. Yeah. Um, another thought that popped in my head when I was listening to you was things that were taught when caregivers were growing up in one that sticks out on my head and people think it's funny. Um, and I think I, they had, someone had said something to me before about it um, in, in terms of my kiddo. And it was like, uh, you know, when the kids, um, when you have kids that are, oh, look, I have an orifice in my nose. I'm going to stick my finger up my nose um, where there's actually been tactics to scare a kid. Like there's something up there that will chop your finger off if you pick your bogeys. Mm-hmm. Whoa we don't need to scare our kids into not picking their nose. Um, Same thing. If you touch it, it'll fall off. Not a good way to be able to therapeutically um, stop your kid from touching their private parts. First of all, it's their private parts. 
Mm-hmm. They're um, learning their penis or vagina. They are seeing how it feels when it is touched. They're learning how to care for it, bathe it, how to wipe properly. We are their greatest teachers as caregivers and parents, trusted individuals. Um, not a good thing to interweave to stop a behavior that you feel like is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. I do not want to scare my, my four-year-old into not touching his penis by telling him it's going to fall off. How scary would that be? That would be so scary because what if you accidentally touched it while you were washing it with a washcloth that I'm using? And you're worried. You're worried. Yes. And now for the next gonna fall off. 40 years, you're going to worry. Yeah. Scare tactics. Guess what? Don't work. <laughs> so talking about their belief systems, um, and then, and then addressing it. So touching rules, very important. Let's go ahead and set the boundaries in the home, mom, dad, caregiver. What do you feel like are, are some good touching rules in your home? Do you feel that you can approach Joe um, maybe today or tomorrow and just sit down and it doesn't have to be a long conversation. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to bring up what you witnessed, but just set some rules and some boundaries. Mm-hmm. Ask if Joe has any questions. There goes the is this when we acknowledge is this when we acknowledge your doggies barking? Yes, this is their their uh their being their nervous system is being taxed in this moment. Oh, there's that one. <laughs> I guess getting to the meat and potatoes of yeah. exactly what what steps that you take. So we know being able to outline some time for touching rules with that kiddo. Mm-hmm. And being able to explain the touching rules um, at home and at school. Mm-hmm. And so setting those boundaries. And then if you're able to let them know, it just depends on the situation with the kiddo. But then I would usually go into with the parents. Now, if you witness some of these behaviors, at home or you hear about them at school, mostly at home because you want the parent to know or the caregiver to know exactly how mm-hmm. to address it in that moment. Yeah. Um, and this is hard because we've talked about it. What we feel like is the most therapeutic approach versus what is really going to happen? What does this person feel comfortable with? Yeah. So it's okay to have that conversation with them. Um, mom or dad, do you feel comfortable going up to Joe and just asking, you know, remember the touching rules that we talked about? So, and then you're reviewing the touching rules in that moment. Um, Depending on where the person is, if they've had therapy before, if they are an active client, being able to establish, are they capable or do they feel comfortable of engaging in a conversation in that moment with the kiddo? Like, can you tell me a little bit about what's going on? Mm -hmm. What are you thinking about? Um, If we're able to then talk to the parent or caregiver about this approach um, versus our immediate reactions to say, Joe, that's gross, stop. Or Joe, go to your room. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking to this parent or caregiver, because they may have already done that and just being able to let them know we're telling you some new information. Mm -hmm. And do you care to take this approach um, because how, how could 
Joe possibly feel in that moment if we speak to him that way or how may he view his private parts or what he's doing? He's then going to keep it a secret from you because he's afraid he's in trouble. So I wonder, mom or caregiver, what it would be like if we just went on Joe's level and asked, can you tell me a little bit about what's going on right now? I see that you're touching your penis or being able to figure out what language they feel okay with. Mm -hmm. Um, I see you're touching yourself or if they call it a particular, if he calls his penis something in particular. Um, And then you gauge, you talked about that parent. You could just feel that their nervous systems weren't prepared for that. I encourage the crisis line worker or the therapist on the other line to say, mom, and I'm saying mom, because that is typical of, mm-hmm. of, of who contacts us. How do you feel about what I just told you? How are you feeling about some of these things? Um, because that's important step. I don't want to just tell them information. And then they're like in their head, like, I'm just going to call somebody else. Cause they're not saying what I, I don't feel comfortable doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's so being able to, to talk to them and say, how do you feel about that? What's coming up for you when I ask you, um, when I present some of these things, do we need to write them down? We also know when we're in a crisis situation, our brain doesn't absorb. And so as much as I want to educate and educate in that moment, it's, it's not going to be um, applicable in that moment because they're not able to take it in. Um, so being able yeah. to keep it short, I also repeat, and then I will do a review at the very end. And then, so being able to assess, where are you at mom with this information? How do you feel about this? You know, that is excellent real world application. And I'm sure you've experienced this as well. When I get to that part, the nervous system is starting to co-regulate even over the mm-hmm. phone. Yeah. And you can hear more calmness in their voice because now it's like, okay, yes, I can use those words. Those are great words. You know, um, I can do those very simple things. And I, and I will have a parent say, wow, I can do that. I'm like, yes, you can. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about how that language works for you. You know, what would you like to say? These are my words, you know, you can use my words, let, or if you want me to help you craft your own, let's do this right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it really is. It's really, um, I just love those moments when an individual and their nervous system is open to receiving. I just love those moments. Yeah. And then there's some permission that's given. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can address this. Yes, you can talk about this. Yes, share this with your partner, whoever lives in your home that could see some of these behaviors too, mm-hmm. because we know consistency with the boundaries is important too in the education. So they're, this kiddo is getting and receiving the same information and communication mm-hmm. with the adults, the trusted individuals in the home. And what I notice happens is that what I think is really awesome, you get that crisis like in-person scheduled 
you know, meeting to be able to then do all the face-to-face and all of that. And you ask mom before you meet with the kiddo, you know, how are things going since you, we had our talk and many, many times they'll say, oh my gosh, it's so much better. Mm-hmm. Those rules, they're working. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, the boundaries. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and that is a really great thing because you've already in that moment, you've established rapport, trust, and they tried something brand new they've never done before and it works. It is mm-hmm. working. And they then begin to be like, okay, this is a place these people really are going to be able to help me. I'm not alone. And, you know, that's all things that my nervous system picks up on, not necessarily things people say, right. But it's just that understanding, okay, this is a safe place. It's going to begin to become more safer for me and for my kids. Yeah. And the reason I asked too, or I might say, is this happening anywhere else? Um, a lot, I mean, we know if it's happening at school, they're going to tell the parents or just someone hasn't seen it. But in my experience, personally, you'll see that a kiddo will display and re- react sexually more at home than they will at school for multiple reasons, right? They're more safe at home. Um, they may not have boundaries at home that are as strict as school. They don't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. They may need to self uh, soothe more at home. They don't want their peers to see them. They don't want to be made fun of, which, you know, or um, single behaviors. And so I would say 80% of, and you know, I'm just throwing that out there. When you assess that the kids just display these behaviors with their, their trusted caregiver as opposed to school. However, if they are doing these things at school, that's when that crisis session um, we really need to be able to get to a safe spot with the person that we're talking to on the phone and emphasize that a meeting needs to be set if they feel comfortable with the teacher or the guidance counselor so they can have a plan at school that mm-hmm. matches the plan at home. How mm-hmm. do we respond to this kiddo? What do we say and what do we do so we can all be on the same page and the response is consistent? Yeah. And then there may be some extra safety planning at school. Mm-hmm. You know, I've asked the parent or, um, and this is usually for people that are ongoing clients, let's contact the guidance counselor. Um, Joe, it seems that Joe may need to go to the bathroom separate than the other kiddos. He maybe needs um, a little bit more eyes and ears mm-hmm. because then at that point, he may be exposing other kiddos to things um, that could traumatize them. You know, if he is showing his penis in the bathroom, if he's peeking under stalls, if he's not given privacy. And, um, and so then we've came up with plans and really you have, I mean, we hope that the parent understand how important it is to have this communication with the school and to request for this one-on-one where maybe he goes to the, to the bathroom separately until, you know, we can really get some ground rules established and some consistent um, responses to the behavior for him understanding consequences if he decides to do that at school. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I find that when, especially like you said, with ongoing clients, when there is buy-in from the parent and they see how things are progressing in therapy with the kiddo and 
things are working, when we hit those little bumps that are, can be really difficult. Um, and you include the parents in that plan. And this is, I'll say, this is what I'm thinking. Um, do you like this? Do you want to add anything to this? Do you want to take anything away? Um, I also include the kiddo in that plan too, you know? Oh, yes, 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 yes. So important because it's their plan. And so really the first conversation, I, sh- I guess I should say, I have it with the ongoing kiddo um, because we've talked about it. They know that this is a concern. It's not like you know, it's coming out of thin air. And um, we get creative on how do we get the kids to buy into creating their own plans for safety and boundaries at school or in public. Um, Then I like to bring everyone together to talk about with kiddos permission, obviously, you know, to talk about the plan. Do we need to clarify anything? Are there any questions? Who's going to be talking to who? And it's, it, it really, it, it works. Like it has a nice smooth feel to that. Um, there's no surprises. There's no, well, I didn't know you were going to be talking to Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so at school. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really, I I think a nice cohesive, that's the word I'm looking for moment that happens. So, yeah. I think when a, a parent can call two and they're displaying sexual reactive behaviors with another kiddo, the approach also can, we have to ask more questions and then we have to set more ground rules in the home mm-hmm. and then create safety for both kids and privacy. And that's where we've talked some more about, um, does this kiddo have their own space to sleep? And also being realistic when you're talking to individuals and maybe there is a one bedroom apartment and they all sleep on a pallet on the floor. We have to have those conversations of well, where can we create some, some safe space for Joe? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I like to also talk about, cause sometimes that is so overwhelming when there are not enough bedrooms for, you know, everyone it, it becomes an, oh my God, what, that's just so overwhelming to try to create safety. And I can't safe. do this. I can't do this. You're asking me something I can't do. Yeah. And I'll say, so just take some deep breaths. What I'm asking you to do is not forever in this moment. It is mm-hmm. just right now so that we can create boundaries, create safety and begin to understand and figure out where these behaviors are coming from what is going on and how we can help. And so I'll say that a lot. And then it's like, oh, okay. Cause you know, we go to worst case scenario for the next 18 years, this kid is going to have to sleep on the couch, <laughs> you know, in the living room, or I'm going to have to displace another child to sleep on the couch. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, not forever. Just, we got to create this in this moment. I can't tell you how long it's going to be, but more than likely not forever. You know, in the same way with bathing, depending mm-hmm. on how old the kiddo is, because I have had individuals, you know, the kids are eight or nine and they're they're still taking a bath with a sibling for more than one reason. Maybe it's to save water, to save time. It's enjoyable. But then if we've had some sexual reactive behaviors, I do like to set the boundary with the caregivers and say they need their own space. 
Um, I have a general, and we all know that we, we tailor things to the unique individuals that we're working with their own needs, right? Mm-hmm. And with the clients. But usually I'll ask parents, um, say, how old do you think a kiddo can be um, if we've taught them certain things with in the bathtub? How, when, when do you think they can start taking a bath by themselves and, and get the response? Uh, and then we know that they may need some certain help with washing their hair, different things like that. But it's good also to ask some of those questions so you can gauge where the parents are. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm just going off track, but, but privacy in the bathroom is going to be important. And I think sometimes when we're talking to an individual, they may think is, is the therapist or the crisis line worker um, I have got the response before that they thought that that was an over-exaggerated response. And in which I just say, I would rather this individual have their own space while we're working through um, some of these sexual reactive behaviors. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't want them to hurt anyone in the process sexually, Mm -hmm. another sibling or expose them to the th- certain things that your sibling doesn't, you know, hasn't been made aware of due to their age. And so being able to explain that. And also when we've talked about the monkey see, monkey do, mm-hmm. um, it only takes once for, for Joe to masturbate in the tub or to masturbate in the living room and then another sibling see it, and then they're going to do it. And we know that that's okay. But in this reference, we're, we're talking about sexual reactive behaviors um, that tend to be more unhealthy because mm-hmm. they're happening in public. There's no privacy. They're happening at school. Um, they could involve another kiddo. Yeah. Wow, this is all some really good information. It's hard too when we're when we're telling the parents exactly in the response level. We're leaving out also all the clinical aspects of, like I said, has this kid disclosed abuse before? Um, when do reporting laws come into place? Mm-hmm. If a kiddo is, you know, the difference between sexual acting out and sexual abuse, if a twelve-year-old is. Um, masturbating in front of a four-year-old or a five-year-old and every situation is different a 12-year-old there's a huge age difference is this targeted on purpose mm-hmm. is there grooming that's going on so there's so many things to take into account um, when we're talking about sexual reactive behaviors and then being able to assess is there something that needs to be reported to social services is this 12-year-old home alone with their five-year-old sibling. Is mm-hmm. it something that needs to be reported? It, there's a lot of different variables. There are. But for the sake of this podcast, we're talking about how to respond when we see. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to create those boundaries beforehand. And then when you witness it, being able to approach with curiosity and asking and then reminding of the rules. So then what happens if they don't, you know, respond? If they don't, and, <laughs> oh and gosh. the parents are calling back. <laughs> yeah. You know, 
because we need to be honest too is this one conversation just bing little golden wand everything is great um everything is dandy yeah you know when you You said that my nervous system because it's it's thinking back over the years when I've had those conversations and then I have had parents that call back and go, Oh my God, it's not working. And in my nervous system, it is a, it's a, it's a, Oh crap. What do I do now? You know, that's my first line of defense, right? 80% of the time, first line of defense is going to work. Um, and then I think back to all the times in the olden days, I say the olden days, even though five years ago is not a long time, but the olden days, you know, when our offices were right across the hall from each other, you know, before the remodel, and I would be like, getting off the phone, I'd be like, Becky, <laughs> I need your wisdom and help, and it was, it was always so funny, your response would be like, why, you know what you need to do, I'm like, no, I don't, <laughs> It's not working. They said it's not working. I told him I'd call him back. <laughs> and hey. here's the thing, too, you know, from a clinical perspective, I think we place so much pressure on ourselves as clinicians and even caregivers, too, to, to, to have all of the information to, and to have all of the answers, you know, especially in that moment. Um, and so what I've learned and what I have really appreciated is being able to say to a kid or an adult, whomever, you know, those are really great questions. And would it be okay if I took some time to think about how to answer those so I can get some information for you? Um, and I've noticed over the last five years, the more I say that and do that, when I do get a different response, you know, you know, when a parent calls back and says, this is not working, I am much more calm in my nervous system, um, which helps that parent on the other end of the phone or in a session where I'm meeting with the parent to talk about concerns and updates. Mm-hmm. But we do, we, we put so much pressure on ourselves to, to have all the information and all the answers. And in the reality of the world, that's just not a possibility. We are social creatures. We need connection. We need to have the ability to talk out, um, to problem solve, to critically think for each individual in the best possible way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, And that's why when I was thinking about for season two and different topics and I was like, oh, let's do education. And then how do we apply the education? And this is a really, this is a tough subject. I think it's tough for parents. It's tough for kids. It's tough for clinicians as well, you know, and it's just because it's not easy and it's not a simple answer. Do A, B, C, and D, and then boom, you're done. You know? Yep. You know, it's just, it's so much more complicated. And these are the kinds of things that like, when I think about conversations about coping skills and grounding techniques, et cetera, it's very different because it's, it's a whole different level of emotions, of cognitive thoughts, of negative thoughts that get intertwined with so much culture, so much culture, family, 
society, individual. And it can be a little overwhelming. And that's why it's so important for those, I guess I'm going to say for those clinicians, those therapists, teachers, whomever are listening in, you don't have to try to solve this by yourself. There are other people you can talk to, to help you, to help someone else. So we know in Kentucky, what we have 16, 17 centers. If you guys... um, I thought there were nine or 13. I don't know. Oh, maybe they're, oh, maybe I don't know. 13. <laughs> Sorry, so, KSAP. Yeah. We don't know how many of us there are. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think the point is when you bring up the listening audience, um, you can go to Rain and you can mm-hmm. put in your region and it'll show you your local rape victim crisis center. Yeah, um, and I've got consult. I've got that uh, link in the details of the all the time. I just keep it there. That way anybody can go look. I think too, when you just brought up, like if a parent calls and they say it's not working, the difference between when we have a crisis call come in and then ongoing clients. Mm -hmm. So if someone did call back, um, I wouldn't just address the behavior in the first crisis call and then be like, see ya, have a great life. There would, all, there would also be recommendations mm-hmm. depending on if there's a concern, if this kid has been sexually abused, that may be the phone call that happens to DCBS. So we can get um, them possibly lined up for a forensic interview. So someone can assess and really provide in a therapeutic manner, this kiddo to see if they have been a victim of sexual assault and abuse. Mm-hmm. or it is mom do you you know if you really feel like this is a concern in your home this one conversation isn't just going to fix it right it is going to take a little bit of time time for you to be able to communicate time mm-hmm. for your kid to be able to listen um, you know, it's going to take some time how do you feel about services here's what new beginnings can offer if you don't feel like we are a right fit I can provide you other referrals and in the region, you know, so you can continue to work on how to address this with the kiddo. Um, because too, we have no idea what else is on the plate of this mm-hmm. caregiver or what's on the plate for this kiddo, what other symptoms they could be displaying besides sexual reactive behaviors, what other trauma that they could have. Um, and so, yeah, being able to give them those referrals. So then if they do call back, you know, you can also say, were you able to follow up? Do you think maybe now is the time or what would prevent you from having ongoing education, support, resources? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are all great. And I also love the opportunity because, you know, we do have a waiting list. Um, I also love the opportunity to do crisis sessions to do three or four, like once a week. So we get longevity in and then we get a real understanding and sense of getting that support in place to help with those concerning behaviors to establish boundaries ground rules and build that trust and rapport and so that it's it's a beautiful thing to see over the course of a month of just providing that normalization validation and education once nervous systems can take all that in you do see that beginning journey you know of of healing. So, and more importantly, I think parents and kids too, to a degree, 
begin to experience hope. This is not going to be my life forever. You know, there are ways to move through this and to begin to heal and move forward in life, to live your best life. Yeah. And you see the, you see the, the way people carry themselves changes over from one crisis session to the next, you know, you see the people gaining a sense of hope, relief, um, using coping skills, grounding techniques, boundaries. They just begin to feel better and they, they look different, less tense, less anxious, less mm-hmm. whole bunch of things. What about for adults? And I know that this, when we talk about sexual reactive behaviors, we hit on adults a little bit is the symptomology of um, what unhealthy sexual tendencies or relationships could look like. But to be honest, I don't get a lot of phone calls. It's ongoing clients who may talk about, they bring it up. They feel like it's concerning. Well, does it, Tell me why that bothers you. I'm hearing you tell me that. Um, oh man, <laughs> there's a lot of different examples that, that could be going on. Whether it's um, I I masturbate X amount of times a day. Um, well, let's talk about that. What do you feel like is typical in numbers for other people? Is it at home? Are you able to um, regulate your feelings and emotions? Is it something that happens at work? Then you're kind of taking like a full assessment. Mm-hmm. Sexual partners, safety with sex. You know, this is, I'm going to just kind of deviate a little bit and I'm going to kind of go back to 1994 through 1998 in the time machine. And going back to college, when I first started college, um, I had some friends that self-disclosed, you know, sexual abuse in their childhood or sexual assault. And I began to notice things that I, at that point in my life, I thought were a concern. I was worried about them, you know, multiple partners, not practicing safe sex. And if, if you would have met me in the 1990s, I mean, I always talked about STDs and I was like, listen, y'all gotta be careful. There's too much crap out there. You know, you don't need to be catching an infection that you could keep for the rest of your life. You know, that was, that was me in the nineties. I'm still kind of that way now, but more refined, (laughs) but I had all these concerns about these, these friends who I cared about, you know, and I couldn't help but think in my mind back then, I was like, I wonder if they're linked. I wonder if because of the abuse that they experienced, this created this, this way of thinking, this way of doing. And it was really hard to bring up concerns to friends. Like I'm noticing this, I'm worried about you because then it was, well, what is considered healthy sexual behavior in an adult? You know what I mean? There were mm-hmm. 
there were no classes about this. There was no teaching about this. There was no health, sex ed. What did you learn? I'll tell you what you learned. You learned from Cosmopolitan Magazine. Well, and on the other end, not engaging in sex, um, not engaging in any type of physical intimacy in the fear of, I have a history of sexual assault and abuse. Mm -hmm. So sex is bad. Sex is unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was so hard because when I would venture into those waters with a friend, I'd be like, I'm really worried about you. And, you know, then it would be met with this huge pushback of, well, it's none of your business. It's my body. I get to have sex with whoever I want to and as much. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, you do. I mean, you are an adult, but I'm just, I'm worried, you know, and it was so hard. It was so hard. And I, back then I was wondering, I was like, does anybody else worry about friends like this? Or am I too enmeshed? And, you know, cause I was learning psychology. I was psycho, you know, so you're doing the little buzzwords. Da, da, da. Um, but yeah, that was something that I think was really hard. And for adults now in my forties, I've been worried about some of my friends now. And I'll be honest, I was, I would be thinking, my gosh, what the heck, what's going on? I'm worried, but should I say anything? Can I say anything? If I do, how will that affect the friendship? You know? Um, I don't know. What do you think about all of that as far as, because, you know, that, that just, I diverted it with the time machine, but that's a whole different aspect. You know, if you're a friend listening and you worry about some of your adult friends and their emotions and their behaviors and you're concerned about them like are we specifically talking about in terms of sexual choices yeah I think it would come mostly from the education hey have you you know sometimes just asking questions it depends on the friend I feel like um, in my circle if I had a concern I could ask the question Hey, are you, have you guys talked about protection? Have you guys set rules? Is that person sleeping with anybody? Are you, is it, what are the rules with that? Um, Birth control, you know, for, against, do you and this particular partner engage in a conversation about these things? Um, I loved 16 and pregnant when people were talking about how they were glamorizing it and it was actually the opposite statistics came out and with 16 and pregnant it talked about how it started the conversations Mm -hmm. so I can remember in an episode um because I was the first second season loved it watched listened and one of the girls said to a friend and a partner was like in the same episode like no, I'm going to be asking him if he's using anything and I'm going to be talking about what I'm using. And then we're going to, there's going to be a talk about it. And for consent, we're not going to be having sex unless these things are in place. I don't want to get pregnant again. I'm okay with the life I have right now with this kiddo. I don't want another child at this moment, you know? So she was talking about her own personal feelings and knowing I have to communicate 
And if this, and she said in the episode, he can't communicate with me about these things, then he doesn't need to be having sex with me. If he's not responsible enough, if he's not um, aware enough to have this, what some people would definitely deem as a hard conversation, have, if we're not secure with our body, ourselves, our feelings, if we're worried about rejection, there's a whole lot of things that can come into play. She was very much like, no, this conversation is happening. And if he's not down with it, we're not having sex. Bing, yes. I was like, you go girl, of course. I wish that um, everyone would be able to assess how they care about themselves and be able to have those hard conversations. Because at 16, you don't know who you are. You're figuring out a lot of different things. You could be worried. Oh, heck know, yeah. What if he's going to break <laughs> up with me? What if he's going to tell everybody? And she was like, I, 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 don't, I don't care. It's about me and it's about my body and my safety. Um, I also remember in college, you know, I would be, I would have been 18 when I went in for my first year. And I don't think they have this anymore besides that it's COVID and, you know, parties. I don't know what they're doing right now when it comes to being safe and parties. We had the safe sex party. So at the local college, they gave out condoms when you came into the dance. And the whole, the whole concept of this dance was about consent. It was literally called the safe sex dance. So full circle. Talking to a friend, I would just, it, it, it is asking some of these questions because I want to see if they're aware. Oh, I haven't asked that question. Okay, well, what are some natural consequences if you don't know the answers? Um, are you prepared to get the pregnancy test every time you have sex? Are you prepared to go get tested? Um, are you prepared to know that if you have unprotected sex with this person, you're literally being exposed to all the other individuals that that person has had sex with? I like that approach. Um, I wish I would have had that knowledge back in the 90s. <laughs> you know, but again, time machine. Um, hindsight is always 2020, but, you know, I, I think that's important because I do in my current, you know, working with current clients, um, I have had teenagers say, I'm really worried about my friend, you know, and this is what they're doing. And I know that's not healthy and I know that's putting them at risk and I don't know what to do. Um, and so we have those conversations, you know, and, mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you wanted to talk about your friend and you're worried and um, all of the information they've learned in therapy, you know, they're able to see those red flags and concerns. And generally I think people do care about each other and we want what's best for each other. But sometimes it is hard in trying to understand where that person is with their body autonomy and their belief system versus um, perhaps is someone's actions coming out of a place of hurt and pain and abuse. You know, it's sometimes we just don't know. Well, and well, and that's the big question. And we'll stick with Joe. Joe's an adult. 
Joe has protected safe sex, consensual, and has, um, maybe he sleeps with so many people a month. Um, you know, there is no number that deems mm-hmm. cause for concern, but then you're looking at other things. How emotionally healthy is Joe? Um, is Joe able to have long-term connections with people? How does he feel about a relationship? Are we worried about being hurt? Mm-hmm. Um, does Joe have a history of sexual abuse? I mean, it's more along the lines of what is the drive? Um, yeah, maybe Joe is completely emotionally healthy and he's like, I like the physical aspect of sex and I have these conversations um, and we're on the same page with safety and consent and, you know, it just really depends but as opposed to Joe has a history of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. He is scared to get attached to people. So he picks relationships where he can't get involved. Um, married women, married men, meaning he knows that he's not going to have a long-term relationship. Um, so I think it really depends on the person's history. But as a, a friend, I usually take the approach of just asking some questions so then they can start to think what could be some of the natural consequences um, should I have this conversation? Should not? Yeah. I think those are all excellent. Um, I like that. Yeah, that's some good stuff, Becky. Thanks. You're welcome. And there was something else that I was going to say, but I lost it. I know because I jumped in my I jumped in my time machine. I was like, let's go back to the '90s. <laughs> We were before I, I diverted. Oh, I know what it was. So go, oh, go ahead. No, oh. no. Um, well, when you were talking about the teenagers or your clients and they're, I love how they are concerned and they want to figure out a way to talk about it. Um, can't stop. We can't stop this particular episode without bringing attention to parents, caregivers. Your children will be exposed to sexual content on their phone. Someone will ask them for a photo of their private parts. Someone will send them a photo of their private parts. Have that conversation. Talk about setting boundaries. Um, because when you talk about, Jennifer, how your friends or your, um, your clients are asking you about their friends, the number one thing I hear and see from my teenage clients or the concern they have for their friends is, this person keeps asking me to send a picture. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Mm-hmm. I want them to like me. I don't want them to make fun of me. Um, is being able to talk about, like you said, how they feel about their body. What could happen if you send a photo? What is the purpose of sending this photo? What are you hoping comes out of it? Um, and being able to explore and then reinforcing boundary setting it's happening and it's happening early and earlier and kids having phones so we're talking about eight-year-olds nine-year-olds ten-year-olds being asked for photos asked for pictures of their breasts or their vagina um, and then pictures being sent to them so please have that conversation with your kids and monitor please please And we have an entire 
um, through the educators, there's an entire training that can be done with churches, with schools, with parents groups about internet safety. The sexting? Yes, and the sexting. Well, there's, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was was thinking we had one specifically on sexting as well. Yeah. And so we can provide that, you know, because these are things 20 years ago that we didn't have to worry about, right? No, I couldn't, people weren't requesting on my pager for me to send nudies to them. That's for sure. No. Yeah. Um, And so that's, yeah, that's interesting. I've had a couple of clients in the past we've had to have those conversations with you know they bring it up and I'm I'm so I'm so glad you trust me enough for us to talk about this and I've had plenty of individuals the back half that I got where they did send a picture and then it was distributed and then the client um was having suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. uh, they wanted and did want to take their life because they felt like they were in a space of Everyone has seen this photo of me. Everyone at school is talking about it. How am I supposed to move forward and live my life? Um, And it becomes a crisis all on its own um, because of the choices that were made. And the trust wasn't there between them and who they thought was their partner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Boy, that's a whole nother topic too. Look at you. You're just giving me all these great topics. <laughs> Love it. It's things that need to be talked about. Yeah. Um, they yeah. need to be discussed and it needs to be talked about. Most definitely. Because once we start talking about it, we're, we're dismantling shame. We're bringing light into the darkness. That's the important part. Wow. Well, this has just been lovely today. Have we missed anything? I don't know. I wouldn't use the word sexual reactive behaviors. Oh, well, you know. Yeah. I don't think so. I think we've covered like just real world. And obviously we always say, just give us a call. If you have questions or concerns, Mm -hmm. you know, you can call new beginnings. We'll help you figure out what needs to happen. So, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge and your experience today. I have no doubt it will help someone out there in podcast land. Thanks for <laughs> having me. Well, yeah, always. Um, it's always a joy to, to listen to your experience and it helps my nervous system go yeah that's that's what I would do and yes I do that too and oh that's interesting I hadn't thought about that I would like to incorporate that into my practice um so yeah I, I really enjoy that and I know that the podcasters out there have enjoyed your um your information as well today so thank you so much Becky Thanks, friendly therapist, Jennifer. Anytime, anytime. Well, we made it to the end of our episode. We want to thank you for listening. We also want to thank VOCA for funding our podcast. VOCA stands for Victims of Crime Act. 
This project was supported by grant number VOCA 2020, Green River 00026, awarded through the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet by the United States Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this publication, program, exhibition are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet or the U.S. Department of Justice. We also want to give a big shout out and a thank you to Seth Hedges of Uriah Wild Media. He is the amazing individual who created the beautiful music for our podcast. We thank you so much, Seth. I'm going to encourage you to go check out his stuff. He's pretty talented and awesome. You can find him at www.uriahwild.com. That's www.uriahwild.com. And finally, we want to give a really special shout out to Rodney Newton for being our amazing technical advisor. He has spent several Saturdays and days throughout the week to help us get this podcast up and going. Rodney, you are our captain. And finally, we hope that you'll take something you heard today and change the world tomorrow. Join us next time on Start By Listening. And as always, please remember that New Beginnings is here for you to listen or help 24 hours a day. Just give us a call, 1-800-226-7273.